We are continuing on with our sermon series through the summer, uh, Leading Like Jesus. Um, we said way back at the beginning of the start of July the church often gets confused sometimes because it thinks leadership is just the man at the front that tells everybody else what to do and one of the things we wanted to do was to take six weeks and look at the way that Jesus led uh, that each of us could do what Jesus did in a sense as he interacted with people as he shared with people and what I meant by that was Jesus we looked at the influence that Jesus had on people and we looked at how Jesus was a servant and the way that he leads is, is just one style of leadership, it's servant leadership. And we looked at the focus that he had, that he was determined to fulfill the mission that God had give, given him. And last week online, we looked at the compassion of Jesus. It's, it's what moved him when he dealt with people, that he, he saw a sheep without a shepherd and they looked harassed and they looked weary and he wanted to do something for them. And, and all of these things sort of add up to see sort of the picture of how Jesus led with people because people uh, mattered to him and so uh, week five today is really looking at uh, what Jesus taught about commitment and the definition of commitment uh, and really I've entitled this to sort of don't tell me show me uh, in the passage we are about to read Jesus explains the cost of true discipleship to all of those that are following him um, the multitudes as it opens up in the passage were attracted by Jesus's miracles and they expected him to establish an earthly kingdom and if, if you have a lot of people following you as a leader um, what you want to do is, is to encourage them to follow you more and get more people to to follow you but when we see through this passage Jesus turns out on his head because he actually puts in place criteria for people following him and being his disciples it's almost like because he's got lots of people following him he looks at it and says actually that's not what I really want I just don't want people traveling with me I want disciples I want people uh, who are gonna follow me and stick with me uh, when the going gets tough when life gets hard when the mission has to be completed and so in the passage that we're going to read Jesus defines the cost of true discipleship and it's found in it's found in Luke chapter 14 and verse 25 it begins at it says large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them he said if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother wife and children brothers and sisters yes even their own life such a person cannot be my disciple and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my Disciple, suppose one of you wants to build a tower, won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king, won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything, you cannot be my disciples. So three times there in that passage, Jesus uh, gives the, the reason why people cannot be his disciples, which we're going to look at uh, as we move on. But it opens up with that thought of, uh, in verse 25, of large crowds were traveling with Jesus. 
another, another verse of scripture says multitudes were walking with Jesus and it's a challenge to us today because churches often become number obsessed uh, they do pastors become number obsessed we become obsessed about the number of people coming to church the number of people not coming to church the number of people we could get to church we get obsessed with numbers we, we, there are there are church programs that you can get online uh, which you can enter the numbers and it can give you graphs and fancy statistics and all of these things to do with the numbers of people that coming to church and churches have become uh, obsessed with numbers and we often look at it and say well a church must be successful or fruitful if they've got lots of people coming that would be our thinking that that would what we would be thinking and, and, and pastors would be awful for, for, for the question that when people ask you anytime and especially if other pastors ask you they ask how are you your answer will always be telling people the number of people you got in your church. Not, I'm doing fine, or I'm okay, and the wife's okay, and the kids are okay, and all of this. You define the answer by, we're doing well, we're 100 in, we're 50 last year, and stuff, and it's a way past it. We become obsessed with numbers. Now, Jesus understood this when he, he, he was hearing this, uh, this, this, this story here, and in a sense, for us, we would read it and say, well, he's actually fulfilling his purpose. I mean, Jesus has come, he wants to teach a lot of people what he's about. He simply says his large crowds were following him, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. We would tick the box of success. We would say, well, he's doing okay there. But Jesus turns all this on his head because he's not necessarily interested in people traveling with him or even interested in people following him. What he is interested in is people uh, becoming his disciples because discipleship is the all-out cost of commitment. That simply is the all-out cost for commitment. So when we come to this and look at it and say, well, that's great that there's large crowds there. Large crowds and numbers is not a sign of anything when it comes to church because you've only got to teach messages that tickle people's ears and everybody will want to come and listen. If you preach a message that doesn't challenge anybody and doesn't change anybody and doesn't do anything for anybody, and it says you'll pack your churches out because that's the sort of messages that lots of Christians want to hear. So we must not become obsessed with numbers and I must not become obsessed with numbers. I must not look at the empty seats this morning but must look at the full seats and all the wonderful people that are sitting in the full seats. That, that's what obsessed with numbers becomes about. Well, why aren't people here? Why aren't people not coming? And the example, and as I read this, it was a challenge to me to see that actually Jesus had no interest in numbers whatsoever. He really didn't. He said he didn't look back and think, Look at this crowd following me. They're following me. Hundreds, could be thousands there following me. He stops and he says, I could actually teach a really good lesson here, which is what he does on the cost of discipleship. And actually, let's, let's sift through some of these people and almost get rid of some of them who are just following for the different reasons we're going to look at. Uh, because uh, Jesus understood this, that a call for commitment disturbs the uncommitted and attracts the committed the committed always vote with their lives. How true is that? The committed always vote with their lives. Jesus is a perfect example of that. How committed was he to his mission, to his purpose? How did he vote? How did he show that commitment? Well, going all the way to the cross. And here he shows us that, that, that these large crowds did not fool him. 
He knew that many were following him for selfish or superficial reasons. It was almost like the exciting thing to do. He says, maybe you or someone you knew was getting healed because Jesus was doing some amazing stuff. He was healing people and people were getting fed and, 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 and eyes were being opened and deaf people were being able to hear. People could walk again. And, and this was amazing, the stuff that was going. This is why the people were following him. But Jesus had a purpose in wanting to weed out those who simply were following him for those superficial reasons. Because he knew when the battle heated up, he knew that they would fall away and it would cause damage to his cause. So he turned to the great multitude and he simply laid out these demands of discipleship and simply said, this is what it means to be committed. And as it was a challenge to them on that day when Jesus spoke, it's a challenge to us here in Living Hope because he turns it on his head by actually defining the difference because there's simply three types of believers mentioned in this story and it's displayed by the level of commitment. He tells us first that there are those that are travelling uh, and there are those people that are just simply with Jesus for what they can get. And not necessarily any commitment there. It's just a, a good thing to do. So they're traveling along. They don't want to commit themselves to anything. They certainly don't want to get involved in anything. They certainly don't want to align or associate. But they're just traveling with Jesus. You know, if, if he performs a miracle, well, they were there to see it. Uh, and they, they were there to witness it. But it wouldn't move them to make any uh, decision to follow him or be his disciple or commit themselves to him. They were just happily traveling with him. Uh, many people like that today just happy just you know it's a part of our uh, it's a part of their life they're quite happy to have Jesus as part of their life the, not to upset the apple cart in a sense not to you know if somebody says maybe something uh, controversial or different to the opinion of scripture or what Christianity teaches you don't want to say it because hey you know I'm just traveling with Jesus I, I don't really want to sort of stand out as one of his followers in a sense or one of his disciples and that was like the travelers in this story but then the second group we see that there are those uh, are followers and these are the people, in a sense, that move on from the travellers. And they were those that just, yeah, well, we believe the right thing and that leads us to behaving in the right way. But very little action there. You know, they're looking at it and saying, weighing it up, that, that, uh, that, that, in a sense, that cost of commitment, which Jesus talks about further on. And he says, you know, if you're going to build a building, if you're going to wage war, then you've got to measure the cost. You've got to count the cost of this. And there were those people who were just followers. They ju they're just following him. I mean, that's why Jesus turned around in this story, because it got people following him. And they were following him because they wanted to be, make sure that they were there to witness the next miracle. That they were wanted to, to, to be there to witness. So, well, if he does that, you know, that thing with the bread and the fish again, then that would be great. We, we'll be there. And that's like, you know, that, that's like a free supper. And which ones of us don't love a free supper, to be honest with you? I mean, they're thinking like we're thinking, you know, if Jesus multiplies this fish and this bread again, then we're going to get, uh, in a sense, what, what, what they got then so they're just following uh, the intrigue and then the final group is the, the disciples and these are the all out these are everything in these are no matter how inconvenient it is no matter how costly it is you know this this man has spoken and he's throwing out this challenge and he's sort of saying you know you who want to be my disciples 
Uh, and I simply, it, it doesn't, when you read the passage, if you read it, it doesn't turn around and say, these are the things you need to do to be my disciples. It's almost asking the opposite questions. And if you're not doing this, you cannot be my disciples. And Jesus is throwing that out because he's understanding actually that for us, when we look at the cost of commitment in the life of Jesus, we see him on this journey and we looked at this when we did focus that he goes all the way to Jerusalem and he dies on the cross for mankind and suffers and tortured for each and every one of us. The most powerful picture of commitment ever just to keep going there until he fulfilled the purpose that the father had given him. The words in the song, the last song of Scott, led us in so perfect for what we're looking at today. You know, that Jesus just fulfilled that journey of commitment by paying the full cost for each and every one of us. Uh, and so we see that those are the three groups there. And uh, the demands of discipleship must always be presented before the decision of discipleship. The demands of discipleship have to be presented before the decision of discipleship. That Jesus is actually being very fair to them, I think. He's turning around to the crowd following him and he's simply saying to them, this is what is expected of you. These are the demands of discipleship. Nobody can become shocked and say, I didn't know we had to do that. I didn't know that's what was expected of me. Jesus simply says three times, he says, you cannot be my disciple if, you cannot be my disciple if laying out the demands and saying this is what it means to be my disciple but what three things does he does he do when he says well the first thing he does is this he says he says to them that the demand is first he shows them he says what they must sacrifice there is a shock value in these verses because and it's always verses that people look at and say but why would he say that he says if anybody if anybody comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother and his wife and his children, his brothers and his sisters, even his own life. Well, how can Jesus use the word hate? When I was doing some study for this, uh, uh, for, for this sermon this morning, we went online and I was doing some, and somebody had entitled the sermon, which I didn't think was great, but know what they're saying, and they'd entitled the sermon on this passage, Hating Your Wife for Jesus. I didn't think that was probably an appropriate title, but I see what he was getting. He's saying, hating your wife for Jesus and stuff. You'd be pleased to know I didn't entitle my sermon that way this morning. But why would he say the word hate? Does he literally mean, well, we've got to hate even our own life? But we must understand that there is a, there is a shock value here, that, that Jesus is simply using a comparative phrase, not a literal phrase, because what he's interested in, when he turns to the people that are following him, they understand, oh, sorry, he understands at the moment most of them are placing following Jesus and being his disciple in second, third or fourth place. Jesus uses the word hate as a shock value to say, hey, listen, if you're going to be my disciple, I'm first. It only works if I'm first, Jesus says. It only works if I'm the Lord of your life. That doesn't mean that you have to hate everything else. It means that you've got to put everything else in second place. It says, and actually that makes sense to do that. Because actually when we think about it, and I often think about it, God takes much better care of my family and everything else than I ever could. 
And so therefore, what I have to do, and the understanding is behind this, is not a literal hating, because it's not what he's teaching. He's teaching this comparative to people who are saying, well, we're quite happy to follow you to see the miracles. But actually, Jesus is saying, no, it's not about that. I have to be first to be. If you want to be my disciples, I'm first. I'm Lord. You've got to sacrifice that. So he gives them that first thing, what they must sacrifice, what they must give up. That actually there isn't anything that can take second place to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But then he says another thing, he says he gives them what they must carry. He says to them in verse 27, he says, what's the one thing we must carry as his disciples? Well, he says, we carry the cross. Uh, and, you know, when we look at the cross, because Jesus gave himself holy to a cause, we would know it's a symbol of suffering, shame, uh, ridicule, rejection, self-denial and death. In the Roman world, before a man died on a cross, he had to carry the cross to the place of his execution. Before they hung him on a cross, the cross was hung on him. And Jesus uses that as this powerful illustration of what his disciples must do actually you know we look at it and say well if we can just get people to maybe put their hand in the air if we could just get maybe people to say well I'm a believer or if we just get actually comparing that to what Jesus actually turns around and says about the one who must take up his cross and that cross must be hung on him before the, the, the sorry they must they didn't hang that cross first they hung a cross on him we look at it as that powerful expression because that carrying a cross always led to death on a cross if you took up the cross you never came back it was a one-way journey there was no there was no stay of execution there, there was no practice from the, the the governor or the man in charge to simply say at the last minute don't execute him that had already been done and we see that in the trial of Jesus when Barabbas is released says here in this situation he says you never came back from it it was a one-way journey and Jesus is trying to explain that to these people that are there because it is only the cross bearers that show commitment to Christ we must not underestimate what Christ expects of us it is not just believing some stuff about him and this bit probably though coming to God is like accepting an invitation to accept means to lift up your cross once lifted, you cannot keep putting it down. It's not something we can put down depending on what we do. Not something we can put down depending on an alternative view of belief from what the Bible says. When we lift the cross, when we deny ourselves and take up the cross, it says it's a one-way journey. That's the commitment that Christ is calling for, for his disciples. And Luke 9.23 simply says the same thing. It says, then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up their cross daily and follow me. We're not taking up the cross of our sins and, and all the things that we've done because Christ has done that, but it's representative of the burden of discipleship and descriptive of the commitment that we take up our cross daily that we take 
take it into our workplaces and into our homes and into our families and our neighbourhoods and every situation and circumstance that we must face that there's not a picture of it doesn't fit and it doesn't go if the cross doesn't fit and it doesn't go it's not so you're not supposed to be there you're not supposed to be in there because carrying our cross is most essential carrying our cross is what the christian life is about in this call to commitment and it gives us a third thing then because jesus says well what they must forsake and, and we might not use that word forsake anymore but we would know that it has the idea that, that we give up everything we put it into second place for the lordship of christ jesus the original greek phrase had this idea and i thought this this is a great thought the stuff you say goodbye to the stuff you say goodbye to in being committed to christ there are just simply things we have to say goodbye to uh, and it's like the preacher that saying that you know the christian life is about the things that we must give up but also the things we must take up as well those things that we give up those things that we take up and hear that thought of what they must forsake jesus says to them he says if you really want to be my disciple that there are things that you've got to say goodbye to it's not a case of adding jesus on to whatever way that people want to live it says commitment means saying goodbye and so jesus then speaks in the final few minutes about the planning and the preparation he challenges the people to count the cost and evaluate before taking action and, and he does it in two ways two parables he said well you know if you're going to build a building <clears throat> excuse me you've got to have an idea you've got to have an idea of what the total cost is going to be because we have all seen buildings half built because they've run out of money and they're looking eyesore and they're, they're they're not completed and they're not what their uh, originally intended purpose was and jesus uses that example he says the same thing about waging war he says well if you've ten thousand men but there's an army of twenty thousand coming down the road he says the first question you've got to ask is well can i defeat them can i beat them what weapons do they have how am i going to fight this battle and those people that go head first straight in there just thinking no it'll work itself out as we go along it's what jesus is saying here which is no count the cost all the travelers are multitudes that are following him he simply says count the cost what does it cost you and so we come to the, the final thought here and it's this and i read this a couple of years ago and i thought you know for us commitment means staying loyal to what you said you were going to do long after the mood you said it in has left you there is the truth of commitment jesus personifies that example and his journey to the cross in all the things he has to do with the pharisees all the questions the disciples have everything that comes against him he just simply does this he stays loyal to what he said he was going to do long after that feeling has left and we can relate to that because we often think sometimes of that commitment of being committed to something is if i can just keep that feeling but just feel that way and i'll do it and actually commitment has nothing to do with feeling it's just simply saying i'm just going to keep going and keep going and keep going that's commitment till i fulfill what god has called me to do it's what the apostle paul says in acts 20 24 when he's there and he just simply said this 
basically, and my interpretation is, I've been given a job to do, I'm going to complete it. I've been given a task, I'm going to finish it. I've a race to run, so I'm going to make sure I finish that race by starting well and running well and finishing well. And that's a description of commitment that we're left with today to do that, to, to build what God has called us to build until it's built, to, to complete the task we've been given until that task has been finished. That is the commitment that we are talking about. Let us pray. Father, we thank you this morning. Father, as you read your word, it indeed encourages us and teaches us and challenges us. Because God, each and every one of us in here does not just want to be a traveler with you or even a follower of you, but a disciple of you. And Father, we want to be a people and a church that are sold out for you. And Father, let that be seen in our commitment to you, our commitment, Father, to take up our cross and to walk with that cross every day. And Father, if there are places that our cross doesn't fit, and if there are places that our cross doesn't go, Father, may we take that as a sign from you that we're not supposed to be there. Because Father, you give us that cross not to take up and put down, but to walk with it as a demonstration of who we belong to, but also who we're living for. And we thank you for that today. Father, you know the needs in the church this morning of each and every head that's bowed. Father, would you meet those needs? Would you draw close to people? Father, in all their requests today, Father, in all their needs today, in Jesus' wonderful name.